Grace be to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, our Palm Sunday King. Amen. Uh, so glad to see so many of you here. Um, it's a privilege to worship with you and to share a few thoughts about Palm Sunday with you and who we're worshiping today. Uh, maybe I can set it up this way. You know, when I think about taking my kids and my grandkids to all the parades that I've been to, because we often think about Palm Sunday as almost a parade with all the crowds lining the streets and Jesus riding in on the donkey and people taking their cloaks off and putting them on the roads and waving all the palm branches. You know, uh, the parades we see in our little community parades, they fall a little bit short, but I can remember one time we were watching a parade out in Greenville where I live, and, and my grandkids finally, you know, there was this car that came by, a float, and there was somebody on it, and it seemed like, you know, it was a big deal, and everybody started waving, and he was waving back, and my grandkids kind of said to me, Grandpa, who's that? I said, well, that's Randy Nelson, the supervisor of Outagamie County. They, they were not exactly impressed. It was like, who? This, this is supposed to be the, the star of the parade, the center of the parade? Well, for Greenville, that's a big deal, I guess, right? But, but truth be told, you know, there are lots of parades when you think about it, there's kind of a star attraction. You think all your attention should be focused on that person or that group, and they should, you know, receive at least some polite applause, right? And, and that's where I want you to just let your thoughts and your heart go for a minute. As you, as you think about this Palm Sunday parade that we read of in the Gospel of Luke, that, that the kids just mimicked as they carried their palm branches and, and laid them at the foot of the cross. As we, as we look at that and, and focus our attention on who's getting your attention and your worship and your praise and your respect, who's even going to get some polite applause for you today, maybe, or in your lifetime? And I want you to think that through. We're going to take some words from Psalm 118, verses 25 to 28, and help use that to, to guide our thought process. The psalmist writes, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those words sound familiar. They got repeated by the crowds in Jerusalem, didn't they? 750 years after these words were written by the sacred psalmist, the people of the Hebrews recalled those words, and in this wonderful procession into Jerusalem, they used those same words. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God. I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Let's just take a quick moment of prayer. Lord, please bless the words of my mouth this afternoon and the devotion of everyone's heart that they may be acceptable in your sight. For your, you are our rock and our redeemer and our king and the one who came to save us. Lord, may we never stop celebrating who you are and what you've done for us. 
Jesus, in your name we ask this. Amen. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In the, in the Hebrew, Baruch Hava Vashem Adonai. Impressed, aren't you? Right. Right. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right. That was that, that praise. And prior to that, it was Hosanna. Right. Hosanna, save us. It was not simply a, a word that said, we praise you, but it meant save us, Lord, because... We can't save ourselves. That was clearly apparent. They couldn't save themselves from Rome, who was clearly in control of Palestine at the time, and they couldn't save themselves from some of the bigger, deeper spiritual things that were weighing heavy on their hearts either. So this Jesus, who had done three years of ministry, who had done tremendous miracles from one end of the country to the other, was now coming in in this grand celebration, and it just seemed natural that they would pick up some of the customs that they used for other festivals to exalt and praise and worship Jesus. The boughs in hand, the palm branches, right? That was something that they did at the Feast of Tabernacles every year. That was, oh, celebration. The Lord has been good to us, right? He rescued us from the land of slavery. You know what the Feast of Tabernacles was? God says, dads, grandpas, every year I want you to go camping with your, with your children and your grandchildren, and I want you to sleep out under the stars, and I want you to remember how I rescued you, how you were wanderers, how you were tent-born people for all those years, 40 years in the wilderness wandering, and you depended on me, and you trusted me to lead you into the promised land. God says, I never want you to forget what that was like. So every year, celebrate, go out, live in a tent, and remember, God, this is not my permanent place. God rescued me, and he brought me into a permanent place, right? And they celebrated finally the end of that period of time, coming back into Jerusalem and having a worship festival for God with the boughs in hand. And now Jesus is riding into Jerusalem and they grabbed the boughs and they said, oh man, God has saved us. He's let his light shine on us. Look at who we've got coming here. But did they really truly know? And I guess I'm here to challenge you. Do you really truly know? I know you're going to tell me, well, of course, Pastor Mark. It was Jesus riding on the donkey. We get it. Let's just think that through together, that maybe we can both grow in our thoughts because sometimes I think we kind of forget who's on the donkey. And, and you know how that happens? Because all good people like you, sometimes you put yourself at the center of your parade, leading your parade, leading your life. Because you're good-hearted people, right? And, and you're even spiritual people, perhaps, that you come to church on a Saturday at 4.30. And, and maybe you go to Bible study, and maybe you say some prayers, and maybe you even get involved at this church or, or the church of your choice. And, and maybe you're, you're very content with that and say, God's got to be good with me because, after all, I'm involved. And, and when you step back from that, be honest, Jesus isn't leading your parade. You are. You're content with the things you do, 
the attitude you have towards yourself and your behaviors and your choices. And you might say, well, I'm not, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm better than most. And you're content with that. And you've squarely put yourself at the front of your own parade. So who is this Jesus to you? Remember this guy, Thomas Jefferson? He knew Jesus. He was one of our founding fathers. In fact, we hear often about how the founding fathers were godly, religious, Christian men. Thomas Jefferson was no Christian. In fact, he took it upon himself to write a book, his own Bible. It's called the Jefferson Bible. He titled it The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. The Life and Morals, okay? In it, only 82 columns or little more than one-tenth of the 700 columns in the King James Bible remained. The other nine-tenths or 90% of the gospel record were discarded. His book ended with the words, There laid they Jesus and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. The end. This Jesus... Just a nice moral man, good teacher. They laid him in the grave, and John Brown's body lies a moldered in the grave. No proclamation of forgiveness, no resurrection, no hope of everlasting life. Just another good man who died, but boy, let's make sure we learn some lessons from him. Is that who Jesus is? Just somebody to pattern our lives after? Uh, a good man who had some good insight into life, a person that was hopeful, was positive, was caring, was genuine. I want to be like him so I can lead my own parade. Is Jesus just a legend? You know what legends are, right? Maybe grew up with legends. I grew up with plenty of legends. Here was one of my favorites, right? Washington Irving wrote a book in 1820 called The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. You know, some of you young folks are going, what's the legend of Sleepy Hollow? Watch the Disney version, all right? The, the legend of Sleepy Hollow is, was a, a story of a revolutionary soldier that lost his head to a cannonball. And, and as the legend grew over many, many years, he would come out on Halloween searching for a replacement head because he felt it was so unfair that he lost his own. And he chased Ichabod Crane, the schoolmaster. Well, if you haven't read it, read it, all right? But, but legends, right? They're, they're, they're the stories of myth and fairy tables, and, and they usually take on characteristics to their locale, and they're ever-changing and constantly changing. Quite honestly, if Jesus is just a legend, and some people think he is, we got troubles. A man named Michael Martin wrote The Case Against Christianity. There is insufficient evidence to conclude that Jesus existed. We can just make Jesus a legend. Here's one of the most famous atheists in the world, Bertrand Russell. Why I'm not a Christian in his book. Historically, it is quite doubtful whether Christ ever existed at all. And if he did, we do not know anything about him. 
is Jesus just a, a made-up story that people were so hopeful that this Messiah would come that all of a sudden they turned that figment of their imagination into a legend and over time it just developed so that he was? See, the problem with that is time. The greatest difficulty with this option is the issue of time. Legends take time. Multiple generations pass. The storylines develop and characters change. I want you to just see this. Most of the New Testament, including Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, and all of Paul's epistles were written by 68 AD. That's like 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. 30 years after over 500 people had seen Jesus with their own eyes as eyewitnesses rise from the dead, conquer death, and proclaim their forgiveness and their hope. And he said, because I live now, you will live also. 30 years, not eons of time, not the time that legends take, but factful witnesses who saw with their own eyes that this Jesus was real, not a legend. But Lord, and again, we have to ask, is, is Jesus leading your parade as that factual person in history? The Gospel of Luke was written by a doctor, a very educated man, and he was writing it back to his um, sponsor, if you will. You know, they would find young men in the Greek society that were smarty pants, as we used to call them when I grew up, right? They were really gifted and they would sponsor them, send them to university and, and schooling and educate them. And Luke is writing his gospel back to him, my dear Theophilus, to make sure that he knew. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were eyewitnesses. It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you so that you may know the certainty of things you have been taught. The scriptures make it very clear that Jesus, as he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, was fulfilling the promise that we've heard about in the Old Testament, that, that on a colt, on the foal of a donkey, he would enter, and he truly was the Son of God, bound to fulfill his mission to rescue you and me. Maybe, maybe Jesus is just a liar. He's deceptive. He doesn't tell the truth, right? I want to just share something with you because I found this kind of interesting. If Jesus is indeed just a liar, right, that he's deceptive, you think about how many times Jesus said in his ministry, verily, verily, I say unto you, or I tell you the truth, or amen, amen, I tell you the truth, over and over again. And the scriptures, you know, always record, especially some of the gospels, Jesus said this so that the scriptures might be fulfilled so that they would be proved true. And Jesus did this so that the scriptures might be fulfilled so that, again, it was proved that he was truly the son of God. Well, let me just show you what Stoner wrote. In 1952, he wrote a book called Science Speaks. The book was based on the science of probability, all right, and vouched for by the American Scientific Affiliation. It set out the odds of any one man in all of history fulfilling even only eight of the 60 major messianic prophecies of the Old Testament fulfilled by Christ. So let me stop for a minute. There aren't only 60, there are over 300 prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. 
But sometimes we break them down into the major ones, right? And, and he wrote this book on the basis of what if Jesus matched just eight? What is the likelihood? What's the veracity or the truth if Jesus would fulfill eight of those prophecies? The fact that perhaps he came from the tribe of Judah so he could be the Lion of Judah. The fact that he would come from the royal line of King David so that he truly could be royalty and be a king of kings and lord of lords. The fact that he would be born in the city of Bethlehem, David's city, on that night. That he would be born of a virgin just as it was prophesied in Isaiah. That he would be beaten and whipped and crucified as prophesied in Isaiah 53. And there are just so many of those prophecies that we can think about um, that, that Jesus had, right, nothing that he could do to match that up. That was not his choice to be born in Bethlehem, to be born of a virgin. Oh, my goodness. The slaughter of the innocents. So many prophecies. Jesus fulfilled them all. How could he be a liar or, or be a, a, a someone who was nothing but a deceiver with that? That was the premise of the book. So look at how he continues. The probability that Jesus could have fulfilled even eight such prophecies would be only one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, my, my head swells when I have to deal with millions, all right? This is one in 100 quadrillion, all right? You accountants know what that number is, right? That's one in 100,000 quadrillion. Stoner claims that that many silver dollars would cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. Now, you know what the likely is that Jesus fulfilled all those promises? If you blindfolded a man, would he be able on his very first attempt to go into that two feet thick deep covering over the state of Texas and pick one special silver dollar that had been marked ahead of time? What would be the likelihood of them picking that out? Nil, right, you'd say? That's what the probability of Jesus being a liar is. He has fulfilled the prophecies of Scripture to the T. And God has recorded those for our benefit so that we might be sure that the man that we put at the center of the parade of our life, that we worship and adore and follow and respect and give obedience to, really is the Son of God. Jesus said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me in front of Pontius Pilate. Jesus answered in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Believe me, or at least believe the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Isn't it interesting? We know that we're all saved by grace through faith. It's, it's not by works. It's by what we believe. But Jesus doesn't ask us to totally throw out our common sense and our reason. He says, if you don't think I'm the son of God, can you show me somebody else that gives sight to the blind and the ability to hear to the deaf, the ability to speak to the mute, the ability to walk to the lame who brought back people from the dead? At least let your wheels turn a little bit and recognize that I am God, that we're able to come into relationship with this one who came to save us, right? Maybe... He's a lunatic. I've been accused. How about you? Right? I've been called a lot of things, right? Pastor, you're crazy. Eh, maybe sometimes, right? 
Maybe there are people that would have loved to put Jesus in one of those. Right? Okay, you know, you come from a podunk, born in Bethlehem, yeah, but you grew up in Nazareth. And you know what they say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nothing, right? You got one stoplight, three bars, and maybe a gas station, right? Can any, and you're claiming to be the son of God, that you and the father are like this, you're one? And that you're going to raise people from the dead? How dare you stand in front of the rabbis and say, son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. Friends, you are nutso. And I say that respectfully to anyone with mental health issues. Okay? Is Jesus just a lunatic? Have you let him slide down that far at times? Oh, I don't have to listen to him. He's crazy. He really expects me to... Isn't that what we're doing sometimes when we disagree with Jesus and his word? We're calling him crazy. I don't have to listen to you. One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book called Mere Christianity. By the way, C.S. Lewis was also an atheist. He came to know Christ when he went to school at Oxford. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg. I love that line. I'm a poached egg, right? Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. He was saying that, that if Jesus claimed to be the son of God, right, and have God-like qualities and do God-like things and do things only God could do and say things only God could say, either you are or you're not. There's no middle ground. And again, for you, he proved he is the son of God and is worth revering and adoring and letting him lead your parade, right? So Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? Jesus, I'm not possessed by a demon. I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. A promise of eternal life. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? The biggest question was really, who did they think he was, right? Who do you think he is? Who are you teaching your children to think he is? And your grandchildren to think he is? Jesus replied, my father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. He, he made a claim to an eternal presence. I always was. I had no beginning and I have no end. I just always am. Not a lunatic, not a liar, not a legend. My friends, he's Lord. He's the only Lord that, uh, that the scriptures reveal to us as the one who should lead the parade in our lives. In John 20, we're told these are written. In other words, the scriptures that we hold so dear, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Not that by believing in Jesus, every problem is going to disappear from your lives, that none of your children will ever be stricken with autism. 
or that all of your marriages are always going to stick together or that cancer will never be a big problem in your life. That's not why we believe in Jesus. We're sinful human beings and we live in a sin-tainted world and, and the consequences of sin will always be with us, but that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we can cry out to him because he is God. Hosanna, save us. And he came to do just that because of his love for us. Acts 2, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Be assured, right? Do, do you wonder, is Jesus really who he said he is? Do you treat him as though you're not quite sure? You know, how important is this that we're absolutely assured that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Lord who came to save all of mankind by his life, death, and resurrection? You know, I can tell you that I used to correspond with somebody in prison. Uh, and the letters that he would write, the pages were just dripping with shame over his choices and his sins and fear and worry about the consequences of his choices. He had disappointed everyone who knew him and that he loved. He had disappointed himself and even in his own mind thought he had disappointed God. That, that he literally believed that he had out God And I wonder sometimes when we're not absolutely sure that Jesus is the Lord of grace, that we don't fall into that same trap. You know, that we have dipped into the well of grace so many times that finally that well's got to have a bottom, doesn't it? That, that we have prayed and asked and requested for the mercy of God and for his forgiveness so many times that finally our common sense kicks in and we go, oh, wait a minute, you know, he's got to be so sick of me, he's not going to forgive me for this one. You know, that, that we have asked God to write us a, a, a mercy check over and over again, and reason kicks in and it says, one of these babies is going to bounce, right? Is God going to just continue to, to forgive me time after time for all that I've done when I keep doing the same stupid things? And Satan loves to get us there, thinking that, that God's grace, his forgiveness is finite. And, and that's why this is so important in life. Jesus, the God of forgiveness and grace, is God. He is Lord, and his grace never runs out. It's not to make my life a bowl of cherries. It's to make sure I know that I am right with God because of his love for me and not because of anything that I can do. Pure grace. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he said to Mary, do you believe this? At the grave of her brother Lazarus. Do you believe this, Mary? Because this is critical. I didn't come just to, to comfort you in this life and to forgive your sins. I want to make sure you understand that you know you have a new life, uh, a forever home with me in heaven. Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. 
This is what it's all about. You know, all your little ones that are sitting with you today, do you want to see them in heaven? I want to see them in heaven. Are you, are you teaching them who's leading their parade? Are you absolutely assured and certain in your heart of hearts who's leading your life parade? I pray that it's Jesus. Because he is the Lord who loves you and he gave himself for you. Amen. Amen.